Welcome back to the Can Do MS podcast. We're happy that you've tuned in today. I'd love to welcome our guests as well, uh, psychologist Linda Trenton and person living with MS, Carla Ramirez. So a big warm welcome to both of you and thank you for being here with us today to share your story and your insights. Thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, Dr. Linda Trenton. I'm a clinical neuropsychologist in California. And so I've been working with Can Do now, I think about five or six years, time flies when you're having fun, but I always enjoy the Can Do spirit, which is very like-minded with my work with people living with MS, as well as support partners. I enjoy working with support partners as well. And uh, over the course of working with people, I tend to do more neuropsychological evaluations and then some counseling with individuals living with MS or their support partners, um, really looking at some of the cognitive challenges and changes in emotion like depression and anxiety that can be really prevalent in MS, these invisible symptoms that keep people stuck. And so we're always trying to figure out, okay, how can we get them going in a direction that they really wanna move? So um, being very practical minded, but also looking at the whole person. And so I look forward to speaking with you today, Carla, you know, just to um, talk a little bit more about psychologists tend to see, okay, what's wrong with us and what do we need to fix? And so that positive psychology stance is, well, what's right with us and what are our strengths and our resilience that we bring to bear to the challenging situations? And so, you know, when you think back now, when were you first diagnosed with MS? Uh, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. It's really great to be able to talk to you. You're so experienced with the whole MS world, and I'm like super um, comfortable with you. So thank you. <laughs> okay, so I was diagnosed in, I remember like the date exactly, April 12, 2016. So it's four years, seven months. Um, and it was difficult at the beginning trying to get a diagnosis. I remember it was probably like a year since I've had symptoms that I didn't, I was not aware of them until I was diagnosed and I read about MS because I didn't even know what it was. I mean, I've heard about it, but I wasn't sure what it was. Uh-huh. So first, I think I went to one of those uh, emergency care um, clinics. And they said to me that it could be a sinus infection because I had trouble with my eyes. And uh, they gave me a steroid shot and I think that helped <laughs> maybe because it got a little bit better, but then it was worse and worse and worse and worse. I also have a, had a sleep study done. It was probably a year I saw around four or five doctors and I remember one of them uh, he said, oh, everything resonates like it's a mess. And I was like, oh, he's crazy. No. And then I was like, no, he probably doesn't know anything. I'm sorry. So I was like, no, that's it. And I went to, because we live in El Paso, so it's a border. And my mom, she has uh, doctors who are friends of her. And one of them, he's a neuroscientist doctor sorry <laughs> I forget words so uh, she took me with him and he did an MRI and he said that it was mostly MS and I was like wow 
So then I was like super stressed at work because we had to do like this whole conference, but we're such a, like a small group of people. And I was basically in charge of having a conference for 250 people. And I remember I wore like a, a brace, like a leg brace because I couldn't walk and I said I fell and that's why I was on a wheelchair in a wheelchair but not really it was because I couldn't I couldn't I wasn't able to stand or anything and I remember that when they talked to me it was like a super slow turn and it took me a while to know where the people the person was talking to me and everybody was like wow what's wrong with you and I was like I don't know <laughs> so yeah it was like very scary at the beginning yeah, looking back, it can be hindsight as 2020, but it's hard to know when these symptoms are first on the scene. And it's very typical that people will go to multiple doctors or specialists trying to find out before they're diagnosed, which can be difficult in and of itself, you know, a very challenging time. It's great that you and your family advocated for yourself to get another opinion. Sometimes we need that just to understand fully and and, you know, with an MS specialist, it's always the best if you can try to get a neurologist that's an MS specialist. Um, you know, looking back, it sounds like your family was involved right away in what was going on for you. And I think that every culture views illness as well as wellness and the path to healing in different ways. So can you tell us a little bit about your culture and how your family has played a role in the diagnosis and just how you've been doing. Of course. Well, let me go back to one instance where it was clear that my mom was like, okay, there's something wrong with you. Uh, we went to this um, like convention, gardening convention, and we were walking, but I remember that I was already walking like this. Oh. So I was like, no, no, no. So she walked first. So you're walking kind of out of balance. You're, yes, and I was behind her. Yeah, like, oh. no, don't see me. And then Sometimes like, people will say, oh, my goodness, is that person drunk or something? Yes, and yeah, I felt right. like that, and I was like, what's wrong with me? I Like, it was super frustrating, but I was like, no, I need to, like, have my poker face on <laughs> saying that I was okay. But my mom cut it right away, and then she's like, why are you walking behind me all the time? And then we sat down for a little bit, and I was like, I don't know what's wrong with me, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, okay, and I could see she was worried, like, her concern and um, my sister was the one that was able to get me an appointment with the Mayo Clinic in Scottsdale and mm. uh, she was the one that because I couldn't even speak I was like super um, how do you say it? like I would talk like that like super slow and yeah yeah sometimes our processing speed can be impacted and just oh. communicating our thoughts it's hard yeah, it was really, it was bad. <laughs> and um, luckily she was able to find an appointment for me and we traveled. I couldn't even walk. I remember I was in a wheelchair, like going on the airplane and everything. And uh, we were there for like a week with multiple exams. I had a spinal tap, I was scared about that. And that's when they told me it was multiple sclerosis. I had mixed feelings, but it was, I was relieved that finally I was able to get the diagnosis. And from there I could learn 
and see how I was able, like I could move forward with my life. <laughs> I really follow what you're saying. It's, it's a bind in some ways we don't want to know, but then when we're given a label, it gives us a roadmap, a, a hopefully a positive roadmap of, okay, now what can be done about my situation and brings clarity when you're feeling that unknown. It's, it's just a bundle of nerves that people will experience a lot of time. And something important that you touched upon too is your family being involved to advocate for you. It sounds like you took a stand and had your own voice, but you know, as human beings, we all experience emotional and physical pain. And so there's times when we need for other people to step in and advocate for us, to communicate for us, to suggest things. Ultimately, it's your decision to seek, you know, the medical care. But that was really wonderful and loving from your mother and your sister that they connected you with resources. Yeah. Uh, I, I must say that I'm super grateful because I have a really strong support network with friends, family. That's, I don't know, for me personally, I don't know how I would have been able to move forward with this diagnosis if I didn't have that. And also it has been difficult because all my life since I was a baby, I would always say, uh, like, uh, I can do it alone, I can do it alone. So it was difficult having to say like, you know, I need help with this because I can do this and getting my family and friends or somebody at work to help me. It was difficult for me to ask. Uh-huh. What has helped you to kind of, do you have any insights of what has helped you to become more comfortable with that? That could be a journey good days and bad days with that exactly so oh my god that's a difficult question (laughs) yeah uh well for me what worked was I did go to therapy I have Mm -hmm. a therapist I haven't seen her since the pandemic started and I should but I don't I don't know I feel weird like talking on the phone or something it's like no I want to see you in person I don't know it's me but she really helped me like to move on and to be able to ask for help when I needed to. And it also, she also made me recognize like it's okay to rest and to take a few days off or a moment off. So I always tell my family that my family members that are here with me, like, no, uh, right now I'm not feeling well, just give me, let me rest for a minute and then we'll, we can continue. But I do need like my little rests here and there. Uh-huh. Yeah. So processing some of those emotions and problem solving in your therapy helped you to clarify. It sounds like what can you do to ask other people for help. And I think sometimes we just get used to doing it ourselves. And, and that's very challenging to shift gears like that. You know, yeah. I think we often say that MS is not a me disease, but a we disease. And so it really takes that kind of understanding of, okay, what do I bring to the situation where I can do something positive for myself, but what can other people bring too to help me? Yeah. Yes. And uh, on that note, I do want to say that having attended several of the Can Do MS webinars and also the Jumpstart for Young People with my sister, 
she understood and I understood how we could communicate much, much better because I was being like super impatient and I would just nap when I was like feeling overwhelmed. But no, I mean, she didn't understand where he was coming from. So it was difficult. Like she was like, I don't know why you were snapping. What's wrong with you? And I was like, blah, 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 blah. But now I understand <laughs> and I'm so much more patient, I guess. And I know how to say like, give me one second. And the spoon theory, it's like super great. <laughs> yeah, I was like, no, I don't have any spoons left. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you explain the spoon theory for maybe people who have never heard that before? I know that's something that we tend to talk about yeah yes but spoon theory for me it's like uh, you have certain number of spoons let's say around 20-25 spoons per day and the spoon theory is like uh, your energy levels so I have 15 spoons left I have 10 spoons left but it gets to a point especially me with a mess that I have no spoons left and I have to tell my family members like, okay, I have maybe one spoon left, please let's use it wisely because there's no way I can function once they're depleted. That's well said, kind of monitoring where am I at, right? Because sometimes yeah. just waking up in the morning, getting dressed, getting ready might take up two spoons. And so then we have to be mindful and realistic about, okay, well, what does the day hold? What do I want to do? You know, sometimes what I tell people to do is get their calendar out and write all the things that they have planned for the day and look at it. But we know MS is so unpredictable and uncertainty is like a hallmark feature, right? So then just being compassionate to yourself as you look at that list or that calendar of to-dos that day, is there something that I could put on for, you know, two days from now, I could do this instead of today. And you, you touched upon some really important parts when you were talking about what you learned in your therapy and just on your own. Um, you talked about reading your own body signals in a way. I mean, you didn't use those, that term, but that's usually the way that I put it, you know, kind of looking inward and saying, wait, when do I need to take a break and giving yourself permission. I think that's really important being kind to yourself in that way. You know, how would you treat a friend or someone else looking inward and saying, you know, I'm my best version of myself when I take a break. Yes. And then the other piece that you mentioned is so, so important, communication, <laughs> communicating. And that's hard for any of us, right? Trying to even psychologists who have training in communication and relationships. It could be so challenging to look inward and say, what are my thoughts and my feelings? Kind of exploring that first in ourselves and then relating that to someone else. And um, it does take two to tango in that way, having <laughs> yes. approachable. It definitely took me a while. Like I'm still learning to this day, but it, it's gotten much better. Mm -hmm. And also for like advocating for myself that I also learned it took me around three years to say, to admit to myself that no, I cannot do absolutely everything and I need to take care of myself. So that way I can take care of other things around me. Mm -hmm. Like you cannot deplete yourself and then be like, oh no, but this and that, blah, blah, blah. No, you cannot. I mean, there's no way. And my former boss, he always, like he knew about my condition and he always said, okay, 
we are doing the best we can and that's all we can do so do not stress about how things are gonna go even if like whenever you don't know what's gonna happen why stress about it until like before way before about different situations no don't do that and I was like yeah so I learned that stress uh -huh. strategy yeah like nope I cannot think overthink basically that's good to be realistic with yourself and and you know it doesn't mean to lower your expectations but just to say okay how can I get this done in a different way yes. be reasonable with yourself and I think that really brings up kind of the topic of our strengths and resilience. And so what strengths have you discovered about yourself since you were diagnosed with MS? About myself? Mm -hmm. um, oh my gosh. <laughs> I think I, I've learned to be resilient in a way. I mean, so you look at me and you don't think about, oh, she has a condition or she has MS or whatnot. Like, but no, it took me years to be able to be where I'm at right now, be at peace with myself, with this new me. So I would say I learned how to adapt very quickly and how to look for the positive of everything. I mean, I know we live with this 24-7, even though it doesn't look like it. But for us, it is 24-7, like... Right now, like I always said, for me, my MS, it's like when you're spinning, when you stop, you know, that feeling, that's mm -hmm. how I feel about it all the time. So I learned how to cope with it and how to look forward to, to my life and how to move on. And right now I'm trying to decide, okay, how can I move forward without being scared of from going through those changes so yeah uh-huh yeah I think one of the most rewarding parts of my work with people living with MS and support partners is their resilience and just learning about that you know not only to adapt in the face of adversity but you know and survive and bounce back but coming back even stronger and wiser finding a lesson in the challenging circumstances that they face and that you face. And, you know, I think that um, part of that resilience it, it is, you know, some of us are just positive people and some we have to work that muscle. It's like working out to learn some tricks of the trade of how do we do that? You know, um, what daily practices do you do to, or maybe over the course of the week or so to promote a positive mindset? Okay, so for me, what really helped was to work out regularly. Mm. Uh, of course, I've lost weight, which is like a super extra nice plus. But <laughs> for me, it's more like a, mentally, it helps me so, so much. And I know at the beginning, I do HIIT workout, uh, high interval, whatever that is, I'm sorry. <laughs> High impact interval training. Yeah, there you go. Awesome. Yeah, I do that. And I was scared at the beginning because I couldn't like walk. Well, I could walk, but I couldn't run or something. I would lose my balance. So I was super scared, but I found a really great group and trainers that really helped me out and modified several, um, like for example, burpees and so on. I have modified 
um, activities, but it has helped me tremendously and to this day, even with the pandemic. And I also meditate. I use, I use the um, Headspace app. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. I do. Yeah, those are two good. You're, you're hitting body, mind, and spirit with everything that you're doing. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I know a big part of can do is the role of activity and exercise and just the feedback loop that that does for us. Again, body, mind, and spirit, you know, just think about that. Like you talk about your clarity of thought or just how it helps you with focus or, um, you know, just helps you mood wise too. Just feeling like you're regulating your moods, feeling better, more balanced and coping with things better. Um, I think that that's a wonderful part of your day, your daily routine, and it feeds back into self-care, just uh, keeping that to help you feel like you're coping with MS and coping with the challenges and balancing out your emotions. I think, um, you know, we can be the best version of ourselves when we give ourselves that time. So yeah. that's really important. And I mean, I'm not gonna lie, I'm always like, oh, it's time to work out. But once <laughs> I'm here, I'm like, okay, yeah, that's why I do it. And I push through. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What are some things that motivates you? Because I think motivation is so key to working out or doing these things, whether it's practicing, you know, cognitive strategies or helping ourselves with physical exercise or nutrition. What motivates you or helps motivation? For example, with exercise, what motivates me, I notice it right away. My cognitive functions were so much better when I exercise. So I know that it will help me whenever I'm at work because right now with the whole pandemic, there's a lot of work and it's like a, such a different setting. I am not a tech person at all, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, no, no. But with uh, exercise and so on, I have a clear, clearer head and it makes everything so much, much, much easier than to where I didn't move and I was like so super frustrated and angry at myself. And then like typing, it would have been like, uh, I would click the next letter instead of the, the one I meant to. And with this, with the exercise, I know that I'm able to do that. So for me, it's, it's a win-win. I mean, there's no way I can, I can stop with the exercise deal. That's awesome. Yeah. When we think about exercise, I know I think about the neurophysiology of exercise and how there's this brain derived neurotrophic factor. Try to say that five times fast. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> that helps with neurogenesis and neuroplasticity. So that means as like helping to create new brain cells and making networks like what I call super highways in the brain that connect different parts of the brain to communicate with each other that much stronger. So you're laying down good foundations. And that is really interesting the way you're talking about it, how it even impacts your motor functioning with typing, your clarity of thought and your thinking skills. I think it, it can be so important to look at what motivates us to get into that gym or into our you know, home exercise program it's often that feedback of, okay, yeah, this is really great. I'm getting benefit right away. And I know that when we do a lot of talks with um, the can-do community, we often have like a psychologist and a nutritionist and a 
physical therapist who can say, how can we modify these exercises or um, what helps to motivate us? And I think just thinking about function and being practical, you know, it keeps you as independent as possible too. So that's, that's so important. Yeah, yeah so what I would say is um, don't think that you cannot do it. I mean, you can do, they can adapt the exercises some way that you be able to have a little of a physical at least. So trust me, it makes a huge difference. So for me, it's like, don't, don't say that you cannot do it. Just try yeah. it and yeah. You talked about going and seeing a psychologist or a therapist for some counseling and personal growth. And I think just likewise, seeing a physical therapist who knows about MS can be so helpful. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. I work in a rehab setting, so I'm surrounded by physical therapists and speech therapists. And I know the power of those rehab professionals like occupational therapists who can help uh, individuals living with MS. So. Um, have you ever seen a physical therapist? No, I haven't. But I, in the webinars, they always mention uh, physical therapists, occupational therapists, speech language pathologists. And I know, like I've got it written down just in case, because right now I feel like I'm like in a good position. Mm-hmm. So right now I'm okay. Uh, but I know that... If things happen, then I'll be able to look into that. That makes sense. Yeah, knowing your resources. And I like that looking ahead, thinking, okay, well, there might be a day that I need that. Maybe not. But if I will, then those are some potential resources to tap into. Yeah, we've been talking about resilience. And I think part of that is that self-care of exercise and also emotional well-being. Um, You've talked about that journey from the time you were diagnosed and Oftentimes we think about, you know, there's high rates of depression and anxiety in MS. We now think that that might be part and parcel of the disease process, maybe something about inflammation or something about the disease process itself. But we also talk about grief. You know, grief is a normal, natural response that any of us experience anytime we're experiencing loss or change in our life. And with grief, there could be a variety of emotions. And I think sometimes it's like peeling layers of an onion, like you might feel very angry, but then when you peel another layer down, you say, oh, it's it's a lot of anxiety, the what ifs of the future or sadness and regret of the person I used to be is not the person yeah. I am today. All these different emotions come up. How have you kind of maintained your emotional resilience? Do you have someone you talk to other than your counselor or uh well my friends family they pretty much uh whenever I'm feeling down they help me and um also at work I was able to Uh disclose I felt the need of disclosing because uh it's just so tricky the way that uh there are some things as you mentioned Linda that now you cannot do or you struggle with them so it's a uh, it's difficult. It took me a while to be able to disclose it, but it was so needed because uh, I needed help with some things. Mm-hmm. 
So, yeah, disclosure in the workplace and in personal relationships, it's yeah. unique to each person, right? There's no right or wrong, but I think that sometimes there comes a time where you say, I'll actually get more benefit if I disclose. And of yes. course, that can't be rushed. And that takes time to think and process and maybe get some advice from, you know, a counselor or family members or even um there's job accommodations, social workers that are really knowledgeable about workplace accommodations so that you can go in with some ideas about what helps me in the workplace. We've been talking about resilience and I think that you know part of resilience is being flexible in our thinking and looking at situations from multiple perspectives, which means, hey, how can I, what's gonna improve my productivity and efficiency at work because that's what I hear from people in the workplace with the MS sometimes they'll say oh gosh you know it takes me longer to do tasks or I have yes. to double check my work or oops I'll make you know I'll, I'll forget what my boss or supervisor or someone said during a meeting and it's not that they're lazy or not conscientious that's quite the contrary right they're exactly really to do well yeah yeah so, one time uh my boss was like, can you be the note taker? I was like, no, I'm sorry. I cannot do that because for me, it's difficult to hear a conversation and write notes. I cannot do that. So my notes would look like super bad. And so, no, I'm not the person to do that. I'm sorry. Yeah. So that's a perfect example of just communicating, communicating something that doesn't work well for you, you know, and, and then it creates a lot of stress for you too. If yes. you feel like, oh my gosh, or maybe it would create a lot of stress in terms of having to rewrite the notes afterwards or mm -hmm. trying to read your writing, it could be tough. Yes. So <laughs> that was a brave step, you know, to talk with your boss. And it sounds like at your workplace, people were really open to it. Um, it was that your experience that your supervisor has been open to talking with you about that and coming up with strategies? Yes, I've been super lucky I would say for me to be able to be outspoken about my condition and what I can I can do and they've all been super understanding and I really appreciate that because I know it's not the case for a lot of people and so I'm lucky mm -hmm. and I'm thankful yeah that's like an important word in my life being thankful yeah I think you know sometimes our thinking gets into either uh, black or white kind of thinking and not seeing the shades of gray and oftentimes people will think oh I'll either work or not work and some people do unfortunately they do have to get disability benefits or social security benefits and there's nothing wrong with that you know I mean it's it's a yeah. painful transition for that person they shouldn't think less of themselves sometimes that's necessary to do but in the meantime, there sometimes for some people, there are some workplace accommodations you can do either informal or formal. So informal might be things like you write yourself reminder notes or, you know, create a calendar, uh, having alarms go off. <laughs> you should see my cell phone. It's full of reminders, like full. And um, I have this watch, oh, a smart watch. Uh, like this morning was like today looks really busy <laughs> like yeah because I put absolutely everything on my calendar because I have learned also that I mean I used to write like sticky notes or like on a notebook 
<laughs> but um, it just happens that sometimes I forget where I left the sticky note or something and I would be like, oh, I remember I wrote something, but I cannot remember what it was and where is it? So now with the reminders, like every time it does that, I always like even de delay it to the next day, but I make sure of it because if not, I'll forget. Smart. Yeah, that's good. Coming up with some strategies. Yes. And it's a transition. It's an emotional transition, right? To say, okay, I'm open to trying something new. And I, I think of just those ideas of nothing ventured, nothing gained, you know, just trying yeah. it out. And it may not be your helpful for you, but just trying it out, see, and then that gives you feedback to, you know, go forward. Another piece of resilience is kind of cultivating gratitude. So optimism, it helps you to focus on what we can control and looking at what we are grateful for can be important. Do you do any type of gratitude journaling or, or any of that? Um, I started a journal, but I'll be honest, I completely forgot every so often I remember and then I like make a note but that's it <laughs> I am a Catholic I my religion for me it's like a super important and I like every day I say thank you for mm -hmm. everything that's that has happened that my family is okay that I'm okay and yeah I, I'm always saying mm -hmm. thank you yeah I actually think that's an important part of you know, our culture. Some people have different types of faiths and, and spiritual practices. Yeah. And, and that can be a really big part of healing and of, of feeling the wellness that comes with living with a chronic disease, right? So yeah. that's important. I think it's a sense of community. It's really important and connection and your spirituality and faith sometimes can be part of that. So building and maintaining trusting relationships is so important in MS. And, you know, for young people living with MS and being diagnosed, it's typically diagnosed in people's 20s, 30s, 40s. And so that's usually when they're getting out and finding a life partner or on the dating scene. And I don't know if you're in a relationship or not. Can you tell us a little bit about being a person and, and navigating the challenges most of us can have with dating and finding that right person and communication and relationships. So, yes. Yeah. So for me, like forever, I've been like super difficult for the relationships, like romantic relationships. And then you add the MS into the equation and oh, no, 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 it's been horrible. I am single. Uh -huh. I am 36. If you would have asked me when I was like 25 or so, I would never guess that I would be single. And I mean, here's me saying things I shouldn't. Uh, I live, <laughs> I live with my mom, and um, it's like uh, it's so difficult. It is very difficult to disclose to somebody you're dating. Like, when do you know when to disclose it? It's so difficult, but it's an, it's super important to be able to let the person know. So here I am, I mean, right now, I 
I did went into online dating. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I've had like multiple bad mistakes. But right now I really met a guy and he's like super sweet and super understanding. But with the whole pandemic right now, it's like, okay, from communicating like this, it's so difficult. But he does know about my MS diagnosis and everything. And he understands because he is a biologist. I don't know. He has like a weird yeah, title. But he does understand what it is. And that makes such a difference, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a good rule of thumb is, you know, uh, just communication, right, in all relationships. And certainly on that first date, you don't have to feel the pressure of uh-huh. telling everything about yourself. I think oftentimes it helps us to look inward and say, well, when would we want to know, you know, yeah. something important? And I think in relationships, MS or no MS, there's always something that is very personal that someone might feel nervous or want to avoid the topic whether it's you know finances or some relationship past relationship issue or whatever you know health issue and so figuring out you know um when would that be the best part of the relationship to build the trust and intimacy communication is so important and being our genuine self in the relationship is so important and i think earlier rather than later, once you're figuring out, hey, this is a person I really wanna grow with or get to know better. Um, I often find that earlier rather than later can be helpful. Yes. Because, you know, it could be a time where you say, okay, well, this person is open to it. And yeah, I think also kind of thinking ahead, thinking ahead, what, how am I going to say this? And, you know, how, how it might mean that you have to put on your teacher's hat, you know, as a person living with MS, you do a lot of educating of other people, what is MS and how does it impact you and, and all of that. So, you know, being kind of prepared for explaining and also knowing that everyone's different with receiving information. Some people might ask a lot of questions and be curious. Other people might say, oh yeah, no big deal. You know, I have my own health problems or something like that and and move on or use humor. You know, everybody's different. So it's just another type of communication and relationship and that I work a lot with support partners and with people who've been married for, you know, over 30 years with MS and I see that that communication and talking about, you know, someone's weaknesses or challenge areas, that's a lifelong process. So it's good that you're working on those skills now. It took me several years. Yeah, well, that's an exciting time for you too. It's an exciting time to be in a new relationship and learn about someone. And, you know, I think that's great that you're putting yourself out there. Yes, I'm excited. So I have nightmares with past relationships. Like, no, it was like you said, Linda, it's difficult. Like, uh, should I disclose right away or not? But then are they wasting my time? I don't know. It's just like super complicated. Yeah. Yeah, that idea of should I disclose? When should I disclose? This is an issue that a lot of people with MS are dealing with and kind of questioning in themselves what's the quote unquote right way. And there's really no right or wrong way. 
Um, it's just in any relationship, building intimacy means I want to be my genuine self. And that means that I need to trust in the other person and take a risk sometimes. And sometimes we take a risk in life in relationships and you know what, it doesn't work out. And that wasn't the person for you. But it's important for you to know that your partner will be there for you and that you'll be able to be there for them too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's, that's, that's good that you're broadening your horizons and seeing what is out there. That's a big step in your life. Yes, I agree. I'm noticing the artwork behind you oh, there. Are yeah. you an artist? <laughs> well, I try. Beautiful. She has a beautiful <laughs> scene of a, I think a sunflower and a horizon scene with yes, the thank you. <laughs> Yeah. One of my students, she's like, you put there on purpose so people can see. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I swear, no, I'm working on it. So yeah, thank uh -huh. you. Like, uh, it's been like a year that I started taking oil painting classes. And uh -huh. I do have several um, paintings. I have one in my living room. It's like a three piece, but it's like super important. And it's like my time. <laughs> uh-huh yeah and yeah. I have a wonderful teacher she's always like no there are no mistakes so we can fix it in case you don't like it but uh just have fun like, okay that's great yeah you know emotions are such a big part of the human experience we all have a wide array of emotions and our senses are so important for uh kind of bringing up healthy emotions too and dealing with those times of depression or anxiety and so when we think about our senses art can be a nice way to contact you with that like what you're seeing or you know sometimes when people are very stressed I often tell them take a nice deep breath in and a nice long exhale the exhale can really send messages back up to the brain to feel a little bit more relaxed and in control and then also to feed your senses, to think yeah, about yeah. what am I smelling? What am I seeing? And being mindful of the moment, looking out exactly. that window and seeing that tree and all of the different colors and the shades of green, or that's, you know, I'm here in California, so we're just getting all the colors of, that maybe you already had for fall, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's important just to do those simple, techniques every day that can help us to feel a little bit more calm and or energized to take a break and just be in the here and the now. Yes, exactly. I work, like I was telling you, I work in a rehabilitation area and right next door to me is the MS Achievement Center. Okay. Dignity Health. And that's a day program where people living with MS can go and do physical exercise, cognitive exercise. There's a big piece of a sense of community and social connection with each other. And uh, you'll often see canine companions. Uh, really? You see all the dogs and, you know, dogs have their practical, those canine companions are providing a practical uh, skill or help to people living with MS, but uh, it's really an emotional connection also, isn't it? <laughs> now I want to go visit you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's an exciting place. It's very much like can do looking at kind of the body and mind interactions and what brings up wellness, right? That's what we're trying to always promote wellness. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think 
when we're thinking about all these different concerns about dating, you talked about when do I disclose and are there any other concerns that come up for you with dating or being in an intimate relationship? For example, right now, I disclosed because with this whole pandemic thing that's going on, for me, you know how MS uh, makes you a little bit like higher risk. Well, this person I am dating, he's like, come on, um, COVID is going to be here for a long time. So why can't we meet? And I, I had to disclose that I have MS, so I'm considered higher risk. So he was very understanding. So that's that, why. that was an important step that you did for self-care, just saying, okay, these are what I need to do to make sure that I'm feeling safe and healthy. Yes. And that this is the way that I could offer to be with you in the relationship, right? Yes. Connect and like you're saying, technology has its pros and cons, but, but, you know, that was an important step you took in the relationship. It sounds like he's been open to that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because right now I am, I'm, I struggle with my cognitive issues. I know that when I'm trying to, I think everything what I want to say, but it doesn't reflect when I say it. So is there like any strategy I can probably use so I could get better at it? Because it's so frustrating because for me, it everything would come like super easy before. And now it doesn't. It's very frustrating. I think our cognitive functioning is so part of our identity and independence yes. and relationships and communication and all of those different areas of our life get impacted by cognition. And we know in MS, there can be high rates of cognitive problems. Um, some studies have said even up to 60%. Um, and we know that annual screening for cognitive issues, like with your neurologist talking about these issues would be a good first step for you and seeing if they can do a quick screener in their office to see where you're uh, kind of level is or what areas you're facing. I think you're bringing up though some issue that it's hard sometimes to communicate your thoughts. And we know that could be a variety of cognitive problems in MS. They could be mild, subtle problems, moderate or severe. Most people have mild or subtle problems, but even that can bring up you know, difficulties for them um, in day-to-day -day functioning. As a neuropsychologist, we do a comprehensive evaluation as a first step to say, okay, where are your strengths and where might weaknesses lie? And in those challenging areas, what can we do about it? So um, providing you with kind of a roadmap can be a healthy first step as well. I think that the specific issue of coming up with the right word or communicating your thoughts that is something that I hear a lot from people living with MS. So it's very typical. I often tell them the first thing to do is to take in a deep breath. I know that sounds kind of funny, but just think about it. Our stress and anxiety hijacks the brain and makes it that much more difficult for you know, people to think straight and to figure out what they're trying to say in the first place. 
So the next thing to do is to know that there are certain environments that can really trigger that. So if there's a lot of noise, like if you're in a restaurant or something and there's a lot of people or multiple conversations going on, that could be difficult for people. So sometimes thinking ahead and saying, okay, how can I make this conversation more one-to-one? Um, if there is a problem, like when you're going to meetings at work, sometimes it's helpful to come up with, like you were saying, a notebook ahead of time, jotting down little bullet points of what do I want to discuss so that that can help you to remember what you're trying to communicate. Sometimes people get frozen and, and feel that tip of the tongue phenomenon of, oh, what was I about to say or lose their train of thought, right? So being kind to yourself in the process and taking just a moment to reflect and say, okay, well, if I don't think of it right now, it will come back to me. So we know in MS, oftentimes memory um, can be impacted in the way where it's a retrieval issue, meaning the information's in there, but it's in a filing cabinet drawer that needs to be kind of un, kind of shook up and unstuck, and then the information will come out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's why a notebook with some prompts or cues can be helpful to trigger. It doesn't have to, everything has to, doesn't have to be written out, but just a few words to kind of trigger that memory can help. Yeah, and, and just also taking your own pace at things. Don't feel rushed. Sometimes when people are feeling really rushed or on the spot, that can really magnify that problem. So taking your own pace and it's okay to tell people, well, one moment or time out during a difficult conversation with a partner or, you know, doing what you need to do to communicate. Um, and that might mean setting up a different pace of things for you. Okay. Awesome. Hope that helps. Yes. yes a few yes. tricks of the trade, but it's a work <laughs> in progress. Thank you. <laughs> I often tell people, try things out, see if it fits for you. It may not fit. And then we kind of experiment and then use it as that, just that, a scientific experiment, just trying things out, seeing if it works, seeing if it's helpful, finding out what part wasn't helpful, and then learning from it and trying to tweak it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Thank you to Linda and Carla. What an awesome chat there. Really appreciate you guys being here today to share your thoughts um, and approaches to life with MS, resilience, and also chatting about staying positive. Thank you also to our listeners for tuning into this episode. We'd love to thank our sponsors as well for making these podcasts possible. Uh, so thank you to our online program sponsors for 2020, Bristol-Myers Squibb, Biogen, EMD Serono, Sanofi Genzyme, Genentech, Novartis, and Mallinckrodt Pharmaceuticals. Be sure to check out our other podcast episodes. We also now offer transcripts for all of our podcasts. If you'd like to have a printed version of this audio podcast, you can find those on our website, candu-ms.org. Again, thanks for tuning in and have a great day.